Good morning, everybody. I've heard from my wife that the women's retreat has just been amazing for the ladies who were able to make it there. Um, they're down at Marietta Hot Springs, and the only time I've ever been in Hot Springs was on our honeymoon. We were in New Zealand in a place called Rotorua that sounds a lot like Rotorooter because it smells a lot like you need a Rotorooter there. That sulfur smell, and I, I, we were driving into the town, and I remember just thinking, like, "Oh no! Like, what does that smell? That, is this, it's like, I mean, it's, it was it was horrible, um, and uh, and it didn't get better. Like, the deeper you got into the town, the worse the smell got. And then we went and sat in it, um, these hot springs. But uh, I think they have ways to make it a little bit better in Marietta. But I, Tasha just said that they're just having a wonderful time and great teaching and great fellowship. And, um, and so I know that, that she's enjoyed her time. So thankful for your prayers for our ladies. And we're glad to be here with you this morning. We are in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm just beginning the second chapter of Ephesians as we study through that book. And if you would bow your heads with me, let's, let's come before the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for... Your precious word, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us in such a powerful way this morning that we would find ourselves more deeply in love with you as a result. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the way that your word speaks truth into our lives that enables us to see who we are and to see who you are and to see all that you've done for us. Pray that you'd bless the ladies down the retreat right now as they finish up their final sessions. May they be refreshed and um, and just blessed. And may we be a blessing to them when they come home. And I pray for us this morning here, Lord, that we would find ourselves refreshed, loving you more deeply, and uh, and just ready to honor you with every part of our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. If you did not get a bulletin, you're going to want to grab one. You can raise your hand and someone will bring one to you um, because we have a little handout in there for you. Um, As a pastor, since we began our church over almost 14 years ago, 13 and a half years ago, my favorite thing as serving as pastor here, my favorite thing is to to hear the the worship after the service. My favorite time of the week, my favorite part of being a pastor is when we're done studying God's word to hear the worship of God's people. Sometimes I'll see people who, they started coming to our church and as I walk back sometimes, I'll see some people where when they first started coming to the church, they're their love for God was um, not nearly what it had become. You'll see them coming to a place of, of, of singing with all that is within them when there was a time where that didn't take place. I love that. I love through the study of God's word where we fall more deeply in love with him and are just prepared to, 
to give everything to him and not necessarily in a dignified manner, not caring what everybody thinks around us, but in a place where we just adore him. We love him. There's a story in, in, in the book of John and, and it tells us in the 12th chapter about this, this woman who came to the Lord and it tells us that she worshipped him in a way where she takes this fragrant oil and and we're told that she could have sold it for 300 denarii. But she takes this, her name's Mary, and she takes a pound of this very costly oil, spikenard, and she anoints the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with this fragrance of the oil. Now, the, the cost of that oil would have been years' wages. If, if your wife's like my wife and she does essential oils, you'll see that the prices haven't changed much. Um, <laughs> my goodness. We have oils for everything. For everything. Um, but she takes this oil and she pours it upon the feet of Jesus in. We're told that she wiped his feet with her hair. And the house is just filled with this, this fragrance of the oil. Is it dignified? No. She's on her hands and her knees before him, and she's just taking this oil, pouring it all over his feet, anointing his feet with this oil, and just rubbing it with her hair as she's just loving on Christ. It doesn't matter that it's a year's wages. I mean, she poured upon his feet three times the amount that Judas betrayed Christ for. It's not dignified. She just loves him. She loves him. She's worshiping him. With all that is within her, she's worshiping him like that. See what happened just days earlier was that her brother Lazarus was sick. Sick to where they knew like it wasn't good. It wasn't good at all. And they saw him declining. They go and send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. And As Lazarus is is sick, we're told that that Jesus stayed where he was for a couple more days. Wasn't in a hurry. And Lazarus dies. You can imagine just being in that circumstance, if you've lost a loved one, they, they love their brother Lazarus. They love him. They know Jesus. They know the kind of of ways in which he can heal and make blind people able to see and lame people walk. And they've watched him heal people over and over again in ways that, that is without a doubt miraculous. 
So they call upon him. And, and you can picture the women like, he's going to come. We've called upon him. He's going to come. Like, for sure, he's going to come. He, he loves Lazarus. I mean, if, if he's healing all of these other people, he, he loves Lazarus. He'll be here. He'll be here just in time. He'll be here. And, and they watch him, and, and it just declines. It declines. He declines. He declines. To the point where they watch him um, breathe his last breath. He dies. It wasn't what they expected. They, they, they thought for sure that Jesus would have been there and made it there in time and healed him. And so they just they wept and wept and wept. Even four days after he had died, going to the tomb to just weep over him. They see Jesus and, and, and their response was looking upon him and, and knowing that if Jesus said, Lord, if, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had just been here, my brother, he, he wouldn't have died. Um, but he died. And we're, we're told that, that Jesus, upon the emotion of everybody as they're weeping over Lazarus' death, that Jesus wept and And upon seeing Jesus wept, they said, see how he loved him. He loved Lazarus so much. But Jesus goes and, and comes to the, to the tomb. He says, take away the stone. Now, Sister Martha says, Lord, by this time there's a stench. He's been dead for four days. At this time in that tomb, it, there's a stench. I mean, if you've ever had a rodent die in your house or in your yard and you walk by, you know, you know what that's like. It's a smell that you'll never forget. But you take a human body, it goes to a whole different level. And so when Jesus says, remove the stone, she's like, it's been four days. It's going to be horrible. There's going to be a, there, there's going to be a, a stench there if, if, if we do that. Um, but they do. They remove the, the stone. And we watch the Lord do something that is just absolutely miraculous when he goes and he says, Lazarus, come forth. It says, and he who died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose the him and let him go, and he did. See, that had just happened. The brother of Mary had been dead for four days, and Christ said, Lazarus, come forth, and he did. They had gone from a place of hope to devastation, is is. is Sad as they could possibly have been. Four days later, he, they know that body's at a point where there's a stench. They know that he's dead. It's not like, you know, he's been resuscitated. It's not that he just was ill. It wasn't just that he was at the point of death. He had been dead. He was dead for four days. And Christ says, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. And it's just shortly after that that it, Mary is so in love with Christ that there is 
a year's worth of costly oil poured upon his feet, down on her hands and knees, worshiping him like that. Um, The love of that sister for Christ, worshiping him because of what he had done, because she knew her brother was dead. Four days dead. For us this morning, our love for him will grow if we see ourselves as having been in a place where we were totally dead. The place where there was a stench. I know that we live in a time where everybody wants you to feel great about yourself. You've seen this over the years and and this this issue of, of making it so that everybody's problem is that they have too low of a self-esteem. We, we grow up in a society right now where <laughs> you, everybody gets a trophy. Everybody does. Even to the point where you don't keep score in a game. They tell you, don't, I've, I've coached in these leagues for my little ones. Don't, don't keep score. And the reason why is because you know, like they, they don't want anybody to be a loser ever, I mean, God forbid, that someone loses, because that would be really sad. And so they don't keep score, but if you ask my kids every time, they know exactly what the score was. <laughs> they know. They, they don't play tag, because there's a chance that someone's going to be totally scarred for life, because they were it. Right? You know who you are. You were it. <laughs> Therapy that's needed so that you can have a better self-esteem. People that need to go to safe spots just because they've been hurt by whatever it is I said. People get hurt over every possible thing that they could ever possibly get hurt over, and everybody wants to just to feel like they are awesome at everything, whether they are or not. We live in a time where it's just build up your self-esteem, do everything you can, because man's biggest problem is a low self-esteem. It is not. That is not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is sin. And so we don't hear sermons or we don't hear people talk about what man really is. But I'll tell you, it's, it's the best thing for your soul to know who you really were. You'll worship him in a way that people who don't know who they really were won't worship him. You'll love him. You'll be thankful for him. You'll love grace. You'll be in awe of your Savior if you realize that truly you were dead in your sin. If you have thought about yourself prior to being a Christian and thought like, well, I was okay. I mean, I was always a good person. I was always kind of seeking after God. No, you weren't. God says there's none that seek after me. You never would have gone towards him apart from him coming towards you. Ever. And for us to see our true state would what will help us immensely to love him more, to worship him more passionately. Probably the greatest evangelist that has ever lived was a man by the name of George Whitfield. He lived from 1714 to 1770. And him and Jonathan Edwards and a few others were the primary people who were part of the Great Awakening throughout the United States and Europe. This guy preached over 18,000 times to over 10 million people over the course of his ministry. 
If I preach once a week for 50 years, I'm at like a 2,400 times. So do the math. It's incredible. 18,000 sermons to over 10 million people during that time and thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of people got saved throughout his ministry. But I took an excerpt from one of his sermons that I think will be appropriate as we look at this prior to looking at our text this morning because I don't think people think like this anymore. He's talking about the unbeliever. He's doing a sermon on Lazarus and him being raised from the dead. So let's, let's read this together. It's there in your handout. Listen to what he says here. Come, ye dead, Christless, unconverted sinners. Come and see the place where they laid the body of the deceased Lazarus. Behold him laid out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, locked up and stinking in a dark cave, with a great stone placed on the top of it. View him again and again. Go nearer to him. Be not afraid. Smell him. Ah, how he stinketh. Stop there now. Pause a while. And while as thou art gazing upon the corpse of Lazarus, give me leave to tell thee with great plainness, but greater love, that this dead, bound, entombed, stinking carcass is but a faint representation of thy poor soul in its natural state. For whether thou believest or not, thy spirit which thou bearest about with thee, sepulchred in flesh and blood, is as literally dead to God and as truly dead in trespasses and sins as the body of Lazarus was in the cave. Was he bound hand and foot with grave clothes? So art thou bound hand and foot with thy corruptions. And as a stone was laid on the sepulcher, so is there a stone of unbelief upon thy stupid heart. Now, right now, some of you are like, that's mean. Why did he say that? I mean, who listens to a man like this that says, you have a stupid heart? He said stupid. (laughs) And the reason why you think that way is because you don't realize that you had a stupid heart. You had a heart that wanted nothing to do with the things of God's glory. You wanted nothing to do with your Savior, with your God, your Creator. You're running away from Him, going towards evil. You're like a dog returning to its vomit over and over and over again, and wanting nothing to do with lightness, but loving darkness in its entirety. That is who we were. Perhaps thou hast lain in this state not only four days, but many years, stinking in God's nostrils. And what is still more affecting, thou art as unable to raise thyself out of this loathsome dead state to a life of righteousness and true holiness as ever Lazarus was to raise himself from the cave in which he lay so long. 
Thou mayest try the power of thy own boasted free will and the force and energy of moral persuasion and rational arguments, which without all doubt have their proper place in religion. But all thy efforts, exerted with never so much vigor, will prove quite quite fruitless and abortive. Till that same Jesus who said, Take away the stone, and cried, Lazarus, come forth, comes by his mighty power, removes the stone of unbelief, speaks life to thy dead soul, looses thee from the fetters of thy sins and corruptions, and by influences of his blessed spirit enables thee to arise and to walk in the way of his holy commandments. And oh, that he would now rend the heavens and come down amongst you. Oh, that there may be a stirring among the dry bones this day. Oh, that whilst I'm speaking and saying, did sinners come forth? A power, an almighty power might accompany the word and cause you to emerge into new life. See, if, if, if you get who you were, you read something like this and you think, that was me. I mean, it's, Lazarus was four days in that tomb, stinking. I was decades dead in my sins, stinking in the nostrils of God. Nothing to offer him. Nothing to do to to in any way bridge this gap from his holiness to my sin. I had no abilities whatsoever. I was dead in my sins and trespasses. I was dead. But look at our text this morning. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you, okay, you, make this personal. (laughs) Me, you, and you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. This is God's description of you and me. Take it apart, bit by bit. What were we? We were dead in our trespasses, in sense. Dead. Not wounded. Not sick. Not in critical condition. God says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It killed you. You were spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. That was your condition. Some scriptures that make that more clear to you as far as Proof text with that. Genesis, we look at the fall here in verse 16 and 17. The Lord commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely, what? Die. Now after they ate of the fruit, did they die physically? No. 
They would have hid themselves in the garden, but they died. They died spiritually on that day. And all that would come from them died. Colossians 2.13, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Or 1 Corinthians 15.22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. You were dead. The scripture's clear on this. It's not something where it's like, well, I don't know if we were really dead. Scripture's very clear. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. Dead. As Lazarus was dead in that tomb for four days, stinking, you were dead. And so I hope it it does just kind of crush your self-esteem. God didn't pick you, save you, because he really needed you and you had a lot to offer him. That wasn't your condition. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Not only that, but it says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. It wasn't just that you were dead, but it was in the way that you walked as well, the way that you were living. Yet sinful nature. Psalm 51 verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. It was from birth. Psalm 58 verse 3 it says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned, every one of us. 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. Your nature is that of being sinful. I, met, I was talking with a guy. I went to, and, and Pastor Andy and Heidi were playing a soccer game, and, and uh, I still could play. Look good out there. I just watch nowadays. But I was, I was watching, and there was a guy that I, I started talking with, and, and we talked for a long time. It, it was a sweet conversation, and, I, and, and especially at the beginning. But we're talking, and he's telling me his background. He's a 66 years old and grew up as a missionary kid, um, went to a Christian college, um, was married, had kids, and said that his, his marriage, he had a rough marriage, and it, it ended. And so I, I um, you know, I, I know that, that things like that happen sometimes. And so we, we kept talking, and he got remarried, and I asked him, I said, where, where do you fellowship now? He said, I don't. I'm like, why not? He goes, I left the faith. I said, do you mind if I ask you Why? No, I, I, honestly, I, I just don't believe that man has a sinful nature. I just don't believe it. I said, really? I said, what about like, don't you see a lot of sin in the world? See, well, yeah, there's a lot of people that do bad things, but I think it's because um, they do bad things because they have need. It's not because they're actually bad. And so, needless to say, I mean, we spoke for over an hour, so I'm not going to get through the whole thing. But 
he's a humanist now, leads a humanist study on Sunday mornings, part of the leadership of the humanists within Orange County. And so we started talking, and, and I said, you really don't believe that man has a sinful nature, huh? I said, think about your kids. Like, I mean, I don't have to train my kids to save mine. Do that by themselves. I don't have to train my kids to, to sin. They, 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 they're prone towards it. I see, even for myself, like, I, I, I sin. I, I sin all the time. If, if I told myself, don't ever sin again, I'm not going to go far, or I'm going to have to lower the bar really, like, like really low, so that I make almost nothing sin. Because I'm a sinner. And we went on and, and discussed with him. I, I, I just said, like, I, you, you speak my language because you grew up as a missionary kid. But I said, can, can I ask you, like, how, how do you handle Scripture? You, you don't believe Scripture is the Word of God? He's like, no. I said, so how do you handle the prophecies given of Christ? I mean, there's hundreds of them given in incredible detail. How do you deal with that? Because I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. If I walked away from the faith... I still have this question of where Jesus was born, where he lived, the way that he died, the way that he was buried, the way that he rose again, the way that he appeared before all these people. Like, I'm going to have to just reconcile these things and deal with these things. And he's like, you know, that's really a good question. And so we started going in that direction. But his biggest thing was, I don't think man's basically bad. Brothers and sisters, it, it matters whether you believe that you're a sinner or not. Scripture's so clear that you are a sinner. For this guy, he wandered away because that was too hard for him to deal with, that he was actually a sinner in need of a Savior. Scripture tells us you were brought forth in iniquity. Scripture says that everybody has sinned. Look at Ecclesiastes 7.20. For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we see the extent of man's sin. You once walked according to the course of this world. Is that true? It is for me. You walked the way that the world walked. Doing the things that the world said to do in love with the things of the world. It wasn't just that. But he also walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You walked according to the devil, according to Satan. You were doing the things that pleased him. If you have a problem with that, deal with Ephesians chapter 2. That's what it says about you. It says about me. The one who hates Christ, the one who will spend eternity the deepest parts of hell bound. One who is defeated at the cross. The one who tempted Christ. The one who has done wicked things and led his demons to do wicked things for millenniums. When God says, this is who you are, he says, you walked according to the prince of the power of the air. 
It wasn't just that you, you, you were sick or hurting. You were dead. You were going after the things of the world, living according to the course of this world, and according to the devil. Living in a way that pleased him. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Ecclesiastes 9, 3, Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. John 8, 44, Jesus said, You are of the, your father, the devil, and, you're, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. And also in Jeremiah 2.13, For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They've gone after other gods, other beings, other things. That's the state of man. You walked according to the course of this world and according to the devil. Not only that, but you were unable to do good. Know that about yourself. A number of texts there that we wouldn't have time to go through all of them this morning. But know that if you think something's good, but it's not done according to the glory of God and through his Holy Spirit enabling, it's not good. If you try to help people because it makes you feel good about yourself, or you try to help people even because you just want to help them. If it's not done for God's glory, it's not good. If it's not done to please him, it's not good. It's true that you may not be as bad as an unbeliever than some people are, but you're still not good. You're still a sinner. Our text also tells us in verse 3 that we are under the wrath of God. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath just as the others. So he goes deeper into who you were. You conducted yourselves according to the lust of your flesh. What does my flesh want right now? I'll do that. What does it want? Want food? I'll do that. Wants to feel good about myself? I'll do that. Wants a girl or wants a guy? I'll do that. Wants more money? I'll work harder. I'll do these things. I'll do whatever my flesh wants. Whenever my flesh wants it. You conduct yourselves in the lust of your flesh. Me too. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. How do I do something for me? What is it about me? I want me to be filled. I want me to be satisfied. I want everything to be about me. And God says, as a result, you are by nature children of wrath. Powerful statement there, isn't it? You were under the wrath of Almighty God, under the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. If you were to die in your state of unbelief, eternity under the wrath of Almighty God, blackest darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, fires and quench, worm cannot die, apart from the glory of God.
We were children of wrath. By nature, children of wrath. Just as the others, just as all of them. That's who you were. That's who I was. The next two words we will be looking at next Sunday. But let's look at them briefly for a second. But God. Those words change everything for us, brothers and sisters. But God did something. But God did something. How do you respond like Mary? With costly oil, kneeling before the Lord, worshiping Him. You realize the condition that you're in. Some of you are sitting here this morning and your children are sitting with you. And they love Christ. They love him. You realize that just as Lazarus was in that tomb, stinking, so were they. Just as Jesus came to Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. And Mary saw it. And Mary poured a year's worth of wages upon his feet and worshiped him with everything in her. So have your children been saved like that. God said, come forth. And they did. He made them who were dead alive. Mary worshipped because her brother had been saved. But Lazarus worshipped as well. Everybody that came to him were seeing him and getting saved. People were getting saved to where they wanted to kill Lazarus because people were getting saved like crazy as a result of Lazarus. I kind of wish they did kill him because then Christ probably would have just raised him to the, from the dead again and even more people would have come to know Christ. Because there's nothing that's too hard for him. How must Lazarus have worshipped knowing that he was dead for four days and he was stinking? We worship him for the people that he has saved around you that you love. They were once stinking and God saved them. Will you worship him for what he's done for you? You were dead. Grave clothes were there of your transgressions and sins. You weren't seeking after him. You didn't desire him. You wanted nothing to do with him. Your heart was stupid. God saved you. But God, he made you alive. He opened up your eyes. He saved you. It wasn't just that he brought you back to life here on earth. Brothers and sisters, he gave you a new heart. He clothed you with robes of righteousness, the very righteousness of Christ. He took all of your sins and he nailed them upon the cross. He took the wrath that you deserved and he took it all upon himself. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You're a new creation in him. The old ways have passed. Everything's become new. 
He's your God and you'll be his people and you'll spend eternity with him. You once were dead. You were dead. You were a child of wrath and you walked according to the lust of your flesh, according to the course of this world, according to Satan. And God Almighty saved you from that. I pray that we would taste of that a little bit today. Or a lot. If you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, you are still in that dead state. Listen to George Whitfield again. Oh, that he would now rend the heavens and come down amongst you. Oh, that there may be a stirring among the dry bones this day. Oh, that whilst I'm speaking and saying, did sinners come forth? A power, an almighty power might accompany the word and cause you to emerge into new life. We pray that for you today. But think about when you got saved, brothers and sisters, here you're here. That is what took place. The same Jesus who said, take away the stone and cried, Lazarus, come forth, came with mighty power, removed the stone of unbelief, spoke life to your dead soul, loosed you from the fetters of your sins and corruption, and by the influence of his blessed spirit enabled you to rise and to walk in the way of his holy commandments caused you to be made alive. Thankful this morning. I don't want to have a high self-esteem of myself. I want to see myself as I really was and have a high Christ esteem and thanking him for what he's done for me. How much better is it to think properly of yourself? You didn't deserve the trophy. But he did. He fulfilled all righteousness and he gave it to you. And he took your sins. And he gave you new life. You once stunk. And so did I. But God has made it so that you are his bride and you will spend eternity with him. What a savior we have. Amen? So my favorite thing is when we are done looking at the powerful truths that we find in the pages of Scripture, that in one accord we sing with all that is within us to the one who said, Lazarus, come forth and insert your name there. Insert the name of your children, your spouse, of your loved ones, of yourself. May there be costly oil spilled this morning as we praise him with all that is within us. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you for your grace. Thank you for this clear picture in Ephesians chapter 2 that shows us that we were dead in trespasses and sins. Living according to our flesh, walking in accordance with Satan, living for the world. By nature, children of wrath, just as all the others. But God, But God, you did something radical in our lives. 
amazing, glorious, praiseworthy in our lives. I pray this morning you enabled us to see the stain of our stupid hearts, the blindness of our eyes, the deadness of our hearts, and we're able to see what you did for us. Those that have been forgiven much, they love much. May we love you much this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.